0: Good morning, welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We come from a heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. So we greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to our right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another.
1: Our call to worship this morning was written by Anne Lamott. I think joy and sweetness and affection are a spiritual path. We're here to know God, to love and serve God, and to be blown away by the beauty and miracle of nature. You just have to get rid of so much baggage to be light enough to dance, to sing, to to play. You don't have time to carry grudges. You don't have time to cling to the need to be right.
0: Unitarian Universalism draws from many sources all the major world religions, the extraordinary deeds of men and women, and we um, come from all of those sources as well. We come from sources where our family stories are what inspires us. We come from sources where our uh, faith stories inspired us. We have roots in almost every major world religion in this room, including staunch atheism, secular humanism, neo paganism, etc. And so, what holds us together? One of the things that holds this congregation together is its mission. We wrote it ourselves, and we put it on the wall, and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice.
1: Our meditation reading this morning is a poem from The Irony of American History by Reinhold Niebuhr. Nothing that is worth doing can be done in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. No virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or foe as it is from our standpoint. Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love which is forgiveness.
0: This is the time in the service when we get quiet together where we enter what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the wise silence. Let us breathe deeply into that place in our body where we are most where we are. That place in our heart where we are most who we are. Practicing stillness leads to being able to love better, see more clearly, hope more wisely. Let us now enter the silence together, understanding that in this congregation, noises of life and the noises of small babies are part of silence. These are the days of awe. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, celebrated by those among us with Jewish roots. Rosh Hashanah was October 3rd and 4th. And Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, starts Tuesday evening and ends Wednesday evening. Observance of this holiday includes fasting from sundown Tuesday to after nightfall on Wednesday. Repentance, self reflection, request for forgiveness, both from God and from those you have wronged. Those are the ways that you observe Yom Kippur. So last Sunday, you heard Susan talk about Rosh Hashanah and new beginnings, and I would like to continue by talking about that story that's read, the very first story for the Days of Awe, is read as uh, the Days of Awe, as Rosh Hashanah begins, and it's the story of Sarah and Hagar. Now, there are a couple different versions of this. There's one in the Bible, the Jewish version, and there's one in the Quran, which is the Muslim version. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about their differences before I get to forgiveness, which is the main part of what I'm talking about. So um, in the Bible, Abram, because that's his name at the beginning of the story, Abram has a vision that his descendants will be as the stars in the sky, so many. And so he's grateful, he says thank you to God, and he waits, and his um, He and his wife don't have children, don't have children, don't have children. The story is long and complicated. Finally, she says, I'm too old to have children. I don't know how this is going to happen. And so I'm going to give you my handmaiden, Hagar. And you visit her in the night and have a child by her, which will count as my child because she's kind of mine. And he does... It says, "It says in the Bible version, he listened to his wife." (laughs) So he he did what she wanted him to do, and um, and Hagar conceived, and um, and began to look upon her mistress with contempt. Then her mistress got mad and began to treat Hagar cruelly, and Hagar um, ran away. She was out in the desert. And she found a spring and fell down by the spring and began um, drinking. And an angel came to her and said, go back and submit to your mistress. And you will, remember this is the Jewish version uh, of the uh, story of how the angel came to the mother of the Arab world. Um, The angel came to her and said, You will have a son and his descendants will be great and he will give birth, he will uh, father 12 princes and, um, but he will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be raised against everyone and everyone's hand will be raised against him and he will always live over against his kinfolk. So she goes back and submits to her mistress, has the baby, then her mistress, um, They get visited by another angel, and her mistress gets pregnant, too, Sarah. And um, during that visitation, Abram's name is changed to Abraham, and Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. And so now we have these two babies, Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac, and then Hagar and Abraham's son, Ishmael. It will not be a shock to you to hear that they never got along. in the version in the Quran Hagar is the daughter of an Egyptian king who has been given to Ibrahim as a second wife so she's an Egyptian princess she's given as a second wife to Ibrahim he and Sarai spent a lot of time in Egypt um, and so he has these two wives Hagar gets pregnant with, is- with Ismail first and um, Sarai, jealous of the of the second wife, says, you have to move her to another place. So Ibrahim um, takes them to a, another valley. The valley doesn't have any water. He leaves them with water, but it's not enough. And Hagar, uh, looking for water for her child, runs back and forth between two hills seven times. Now, part of the... the, the uh, pilgrimage called the Hajj in Islam is that you go to Mecca, and, in this, and Mecca is in this place where Hagar was left by Ibrahim. Um, you run between two pillars seven times, signifying the desperate search for water that Hagar um, engaged in. And and after a while, uh, God brings a spring up out of the earth and so she and her son survive and they live in that place and Ibrahim comes and visits them. He has two families. He comes as a faithful and loving dad to uh, but a miserable dad caught between two families and many of you know him. Um, He comes and visits both families and tries to do what's right by both of them. So why is this story, the first one that you read, At the beginning of the year, when it's time to reflect on yourself and ask forgiveness, uh, Ruth Behar, who is a Jewish scholar and an anthropologist, suggests that perhaps this story is read because it is so clear in the story how everybody was wrong. Hagar was wrong for looking with contempt upon her mistress. So Hagar comes off a little bit bratty in the Jewish version of the story which is the one she's concerned with as a Jewish scholar. Sarai comes across as jealous and petty and cruel. She treats her servant harshly, and then she sends her uh, out into the wilderness twice. And Abraham, Ibrahim, was wrong also just for not um, being able to find a way to fix it, which we can all understand, and we can forgive all of them, really, because we all have been petty and jealous and we all have been a little bratty and we've all been a little spineless. Um, But this is the situation that opens up the days of awe. When you're supposed to look at yourself and see, what have I done to uh, create the messes that are in my life? So, and you can also see how different points of view spin the story in different ways. The um, mother of the Jewish people, Sarah, and the mother of the um, Adnan Arab people, Hagar, uh, they never talked to each other about this apparently. Nobody ever said, I'm sorry I looked on you with contempt. Uh, I'm sorry I treated you harshly. I was jealous. A lot of evangelicals say, you know, and that's the beginning of the troubles between the Jews and the Arabs. We don't say that here because we know that the current trouble between the Jews and the Arabs was because the British uh, sat in a library and drew lines on a map and made a, a hash out of the Middle East and didn't really think about who was living there. But, um, There has been historic tension in the Middle East. And it is not all uh, the fault of whoever was Secretary of State at the time. (laughs) And there have been many. So how many of us have members of our family who are not currently speaking to one another um, from the closeness of first cousins on in. Anybody have members of the family who don't really talk to each other? Yeah, it's very, very common. It's very common. A dear friend of mine's brother just died and the brother wrote an email. They're both very old. The brother wrote an email two weeks before he died and said, I would like to ask your forgiveness, my brother, because I've been angry at you since we were in our 20s, and I can't even remember why. And, of course, my friend, being a very forgiving man, said, of course I forgive you, but he also had to say, I've been waiting for this a long time. <laughs> he didn't say, I... Never mind. <laughs> I think apologies and forgiveness are a wonderful thing to talk about right now. We have recently seen several apologies from one of our presidential candidates. Um, We've seen some apologies from the other one as well, but it's the one that apologized uh, yesterday morning that I want to talk about. The kind of apology that's not an apology is the apology we got several months ago where he said, I'm sorry if something I said hurt somebody's feelings. That's that's not that's a thin gruel of an apology. You've had someone apologize to you and say, well, I'm sorry if you got hurt by that. Or an apology that, was, that I got one time, which was one of my favorites. Um, I'm sorry if you chose to hurt yourself about that. <laughs> the apology from yesterday morning was more like it. You say, I did it. I was wrong. I apologize. That's, that's more like it. That is a C-minus apology right there. Average, a little bit less than average. Why? Because it is non-interactive. A non-interactive apology is like, I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry it was wrong. I won't do it again. Okay? You acknowledge what you did. You acknowledge that it was wrong. Um, that's the one that we most often give and the one we most often get. And you explain yourself you know, and there's nothing wrong with this apology, really. You say, "I was tired, I wasn't thinking, I was upset about something else. I'm sorry it came out that way. Um, and then, if you want it to be an interactive apology, you say, "I hope you forgive me," or even better, will you forgive me?" Then the other person can make their decisions. But okay, so if that's a C minus apology, what is an A plus apology? Are you interested in what that is? That's just my opinion. Um, Okay, a truly great apology involves an understanding and an acknowledgement of what happened. Not only in you, but in the other person. A truly great A-plus apology is not too quick. Some people use the unfair technique of a premature apology. They see the other person looking hurt and they go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay? And then the other person's not allowed to say anything about their feelings because if they go, yeah, that really hurt my feelings, you go, I said I was sorry, which means shut up. Premature apology, no fair. A great apology leaves room for the hurt person to say what it was like for them, what the feeling is like for them, what happened in their mind and in their heart and in their body. A truly great apology lets go of, I didn't mean to because that is intention and while that is important, it's only about a quarter of the importance of the impact. You have an intention, but then there's an impact. And even though it wasn't your intention, you see the impact. And if you want to be a great apologizer, you say, tell me about this impact. This part takes deep listening. It takes vulnerability. You say, I hurt you. So it kind of puts you in the one down position. You, you don't like to hurt other people. Most of us don't like to. You say, I, I see that I hurt you. I'm really sorry. Tell me about it. Validation of the other person's experience is as simple as saying, I really can see how that could have come across that way. I really do understand that when I said that, You remembered this, or you felt this, or this came to your mind, to your heart, to your body. A great apology has a lot of listening in it. And then there's an ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness also takes listening. If somebody asks you to forgive them, if you can listen to them, Until you understand them, it is more easy to forgive them. Then you can decide what kind of relationship you want to continue to have. You can forgive someone and avoid them, you can forgive someone and not want to live with them. I think a lot about deep listening these days. We have a group called the Pastoral Care Associates, and I'm always talking to them about deep listening, active listening. Here's how you do it. It sounds so simple, and yet it is so difficult. Being really deeply listened to is an amazing and rare gift. If you can do it, you can nourish souls. If you can deeply listen to somebody, you can transform lives. If you can deeply listen to somebody, you can bring about justice. We often think of nourishing souls, transforming lives, doing justice as very verbal things. Like, I'm gonna tell you something that's gonna transform your life. Or I'm gonna tell you something that's gonna nourish your soul. I'm gonna say something that's gonna bring justice. And that's true. It's often very verbal, but the other half of it is listening intentionally, deeply. How do you do that? Okay. It happens when you can quiet the buzzing voices in your core that are thinking of things you'd like to say to the person who's talking to you. Number one, when you can quiet the buzzing hysteria or panic in your core that you think they misunderstood you, when you can sink the rising urge to give them advice, because they really need to hear this, then you can maybe be quiet and still enough to listen. Now, all of this takes Practice. You can't just say, Oh, I'm going to be a good deep listener and start. But if you want to, you can start this afternoon. You could pick somebody you want to listen to and just say, Okay, we're going to make a, we're going to, because a lot of people are worried that if they start listening to somebody, it's going to go on for three hours. <laughs> and then you're going to miss the game. <laughs> or you're going to fall asleep on them. Or you're just gonna start screaming or something. So, a container is a good idea. So, you, here's how you make a container you go, We're gonna set a timer. We're gonna set a timer for 30 minutes, and you're gonna talk for 30 minutes about anything you want to. And I'm going to listen to you, I'm gonna be still inside, I'm not gonna give you any advice. I'm not going to go, oh, yeah, well, that happened to me. And when it happened to me, I thought, da, 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 No, this is not about you at all, not even a little bit, not even one-six-billionth of a bit. That's how many people are on the earth. This is about them being given the rare gift of being listened to. If you want to, you can ask them questions. If you cannot talk about yourself, not give advice, not fix the situation, and ask three questions in a row, you get a black belt in listening. So 30 minutes, the timer goes, eh, you go, I did it. And then 30 minutes, you get to talk, and then they get to practice listening. I promise you that deep listening can change the world. It is a healing place. I promise you that if you are misunderstood for 30 minutes, you will not die. I promise you that if you do not ha- have a word to defend yourself with for 30 minutes, you will not crumble into ashes. The gift of listening to someone else is transformative and nourishing and A treasure. To become silent inside takes a lot of practice. To abstain from advice takes a lot of practice. To open your heart to another person, perhaps telling you something unsavory about yourself, takes a lifetime of practice. To open your heart to the suffering of another person right there in front of you without trying to fix it It takes a lifetime of practice. If you want to practice with some other church members, we have these small groups called Chalice Circles, and the sign-up is starting today. If you are too shy to go into the gallery where all the sign-ups for everything are, I understand some people just never go in there because they can't take all the people in the hubbub. The sign-up sheets are also on the table in between those two doors where the ushers sit. You can just get one and you won't have to talk to a soul. <laughs> Chalice circles give you practice in listening because you're not allowed to give advice. And man, is that hard. It may just be hard for me, but I think it's hard for everybody. If you need listening, if you need someone to listen to you, please email me or just tell me, and I will connect you with one of our congregational listeners who have had some training in deep listening. And they have promised and made an oath that they will not give you advice. Or try to fix you. Repentance and forgiveness, the world is hungry for those things. If the candidate who apologized on Saturday would go to the Twitter feed of Kelly Oxford, who is a New York Times reporter and read what is on there. I have some hope that there would be change. Kelly Oxford asked yesterday for women to tell the story of their first experience of sexual assault, just their first one, where they got grabbed or flashed or trash-talked But mostly, it's grabbed. She has over a million stories on there since yesterday. She was getting one a second, one every second. My friends, remember what happened to you. My friends, it doesn't only happen to women. My friends, if it hasn't happened to you, ask Any women in your life, even your daughters that you think might be too young, odds are good that it has or will happen to them soon. Just grab them. You can do anything. Half the women in this country are traumatized by those words, but we're good at hiding it because we smile. Good apology goes a long way toward healing. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Please sing with me if you care to. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. Go in peace.
1: This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.